Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me once again today. It's always a pleasure to have you with me, and I hope wherever you are, you're, you and your family are, are safe and, and uh, enjoying this uh, lovely day here and not affected by some of the issues that are happening in the world today. Uh, my first guest is Joshua Dick. At over 15 years, he transformed a small family business into a global market leader in the coffee industry with customers in over 70 countries and distribution facilities on three continents like Starbucks and Keurig. And in the process, sales grew more than 25 times while earnings multiplied over 275 times. After the sale of the business, Joshua started a new adventure by moving to Florence, Italy, where he's speaking to us from today, with his wife and three daughters, and he now has dedicated himself to helping others who seek to build extraordinary businesses based on what they truly love to do. He's written a new book, and we're going to talk about that, called Grow Like a Lobster, but I think you're really going to enjoy this. I implore upon you, get a pencil and a piece of paper to take some notes. Joshua, thank you so much for joining me today, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, you're uh, you're well traveled. You're in in Florence, Italy. I understand uh, now, which is a, a part of the world that I just love. And uh, you know, I'm, I'll bet our listeners are wondering, with that introduction, uh, what's this guy all about? So, if you could please share with our listeners a little bit about you and your background, and and what you've what you've done and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So my career took a lot of different turns. I started out right out of university trying uh, the world of investment banking. I worked for Salman Brothers on Wall Street and learned a lot, but hated it. Uh, From there, I decided I wanted to completely change my career and got an MBA. And I went on to work in classical traditional marketing for Unilever. But I kept finding throughout the way that I really wanted to do my own thing. And I had this incredible opportunity come to me or sort of land on my, my lap and the fact that a family business that had been started by my great-grandfather was having some troubles. And I was asked to come in and take a look at what was going on in the business. And uh, I very quickly decided that more than 50% of the business was something that I really wasn't interested in being involved with. I shut those parts of the businesses down. And over the next 15 years, I grew this one particular part of the business focusing without distraction on being great at making cleaning products for coffee machines. Um, We ended up growing the business dramatically over this 15-year period. I ended up establishing and working with an incredible team. And after about 15 years, when the um, value or the sales levels had achieved a lot of my, my goals, I started to think about an exit and what that might mean for me and my family and my team. And, um, that's what eventually got me to Florence. 
That's a fascinating story on many levels. I think uh, our listeners uh, hopefully were paying attention, especially to the part where you said you took a good hard look at what was doing well and what interested you, what motivated you, and uh, and got rid of a lot of the rest of it. How much resistance did you get to that idea at that time? You know, it was really almost no resistance because by the time I took over, the rest of the family had left the business or um, had had stepped away, and, and I basically took that piece of the business that was the focus and ended up just deciding this is what we have to do. We had worked out a very um, positive family transaction where it was sort of I had an opportunity to really build something. And um, I took that opportunity, decided to take some risks by closing those product lines that were not interesting to me, and eventually went on to actually buy a competitor in the same space that I was enjoying or focusing on. Now, that, that's an interesting story. Again, uh, when, when we talk to uh, business owners, uh, and we've heard many, many times, if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, that... Uh, by focusing on uh, what you think, not not what you what you might think is, you know, your your overall business might be multiple lines, it might be multiple products. But uh, when you started doing that, when you started focusing on that one area, was it with the idea that someday you would sell that, and that was a need, or or again, was it was it just driven by the fact that you saw that would that has growth potential that could be most profitable? Were you thinking with the end in mind at that point? You know, I wasn't. And I actually don't believe in trying to run a business to sell it. I actually was thinking that I was trying to build a great company. And I was trying to build an organization that allowed me to do the things in my life that were important to me. And I think by having that attitude, it actually really helped me kind of be a little bit more powerful in the sale process. Um, I thought about it as almost like I was creating a business that was efficient and it was going to be my dream job. And I think by defining it as my dream job, it allowed me to pick and choose who the investors were when I eventually went to sell. Wow, that's terrific. That's terrific. And what were some of those levers that you I – know, I know you've written a whole book about it. It's called Grow Like a Lobster. We're going to talk about that. But what were some of those levers that you pulled early on in the process um, that transition from doing too many things to doing uh, a, a few things well? What were some of the things that were early in your, your process? Yeah, I went through a pretty strategic analysis of there were seven different product lines. And I had a lot of respect for my family that had been running the business before me. So I, I said, well, if they've been doing these businesses, there must be some reason why. And what I quickly learned is that while some of them definitely contributed, in fact, as I said, they contributed collectively more than 50% of the business, which was a very small business, they weren't what I called ownable. And I had had this sort of brand experience at Unilever where I really learned to appreciate the value of a brand and brandable products and the premium that they might command on sale in the market. And because of that reason, that's really how I decided to get rid of six, the other six product lines because they didn't have that identity that I felt like I could own and hold on to and maybe make something great out of. And uh, what were some of the, uh, uh, I wonder if I've done the right thing moments that you had <laughs> during that transition? What, what came up? Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was scary. I mean, it was really scary to say, okay, you know, this particular product line accounts for, you know, 25% of our revenue and 25% of our profits. I'm just going to close it down. Um, it's scary. But at the same time, I decided that, my vision and my objective was not just to get by, 
my objective with the business was to be really, what I say in the book, extraordinary. And I wanted to measure myself and I wanted to measure the success of the business by standards for much larger businesses than we were at the time. So because of that, I sort of just said, listen, I only have so much energy, so much bandwidth to focus on doing this and doing this. Let's only work on things that I think are really going to pay off in the long run. And uh, although it was scary to cut some of these things, it was right. I mean, these were things like pastry bags and hat covers. And even in the book, I tell a story about tube tops for women. Um, Eventually, I ended up in the coffee industry selling detergents, which are (laughs) Clearly not the most exciting product line, but I found them more exciting than pastry bags and um, and hat covers. (laughs) Last question on this scenario: How uh, involved did you get employees, and how early in the process to get their input on this and let them know what you were doing? So you know, interestingly, when I started, we were only twelve employees, and that included manufacturing and production, and we even had a union. Amongst amongst six, I think six or seven of the employees were in the union. So I kind of went out and I had the freedom to just kind of define things and write them down and decide that this was what w- would work for me and just the small senior leadership team. And um, I tried to share it with the entire team and express it, but we're talking about not everyone sort of functioning or with the vision that I might have sort of dreamed of from having been at larger companies. So I, I think in some ways, being so small when we started, I was able to really kind of force and dictate what the mission and vision and, and goals of the business were going to be. Makes a lot of sense. Now, a lot of our listeners, uh, Josh, are, are looking for you know the the sale from to a uh, it could be an outside buyer, private equity firm, uh, what have you, um, and and they're trying to make themselves attractive in that because I think what's happening these days is is a lot of people are seeing there's a lot more contestants in the beauty contest if you get my drift there's a lot more businesses trying to sell because of the baby boomer wave and there's a lot more businesses that um, have been uh, you know making themselves attractive for quite a while what are some of the things that the private equity firms are looking for or or the outside buyers are looking for that make a business attractive that our listeners can focus on in their business Absolutely. So I think there, there are a few things. One, obviously, the first and most important is going to be EBITDA generation. And EBITDA is a percentage of your sales. I, uh, I have a whole chapter in the book talking about the things to think about in an exit and how I kind of try to simplify the idea of EBITDA. Um, but I also think it's very, very important to avoid heavy levels of customer concentration. Um, to, so you don't really want to be in a situation where everyone, all your business or a significant portion of your business is going through one or two customers. I think it's also really good to think about the idea I call, and a lot of people call it stickiness, sort of how consistently are those customers of yours coming back to you? Or is it every year that you have to fill the bucket with new customers or are you just selling um, the new, more products or new products to the same old customers who know you and trust you. That seems, says to me that there's a real stickiness and customer loyalty. Um, I think it's also important to have a fair amount of geographic distribution. I think buyers find that to be um, a way that they can limit their liability and risk by knowing that there's this, it's sort of spread around. And I think high levels of profitability a very strong leadership team because I don't think a buyer wants to buy a business that's dependent on you who maybe is going to walk away with some big check and just leave them hanging. I think they want to see who the team is and understand that the business isn't just about one person. 
I could probably go check- on, but I hope that get, gets you a sense. Well, yeah, you're checking <laughs> a lot of the boxes that we talk about, so you're reinforcing things that we've heard about in the past, and, and uh, obviously uh, having done it, uh, it's, it's great wisdom coming from you. Now let's talk about your book, Grow Like a Lobster. Why, why like a lobster? Let's talk about that metaphor. Yeah, so I had, I had this experience where I learned about the process that a lobster goes through to grow. Every time it wants to grow, it has to like rip its body outside from its shell, out of its shell, and it lays on the ground as this soft, fleshy, vulnerable creature. And when I read that description of the lobster, I, I felt to myself this instant connection where I was like, my God, that's me. That's what it feels like sometimes trying to run a business and build it and grow it. And I took from that, and if you worked for me over the 15 years that I built the business, you would have been annoyed of hearing my, remember the lobster, the molts are coming, I would talk to my team. And I, <laughs> I developed it as this metaphor, yeah, this metaphor where there are times in business and in life, in any situation where things are good, and I call that the times that our shell is hard, and then there are times when we've just molted and we're this fleshy, vulnerable mess of, of weakness. And um, I developed this idea that if we can use our awareness of the fact that these molts and these times of vulnerability are coming, we can use the times when our shell is strong to plan and prepare so that it's a little less painful when we've gone through a molt. Yeah, that's that's really a great metaphor. I hadn't thought about that before, uh, but uh, it makes a lot of sense, and especially um, your uh, your your discussion of how to create a dr- your dream job as an owner. Um, what are some of the the major headings or categories that owners would think about in creating their dream job? You know, for me at the stage of my life that I was I was in, you know, I was really in the sort of prime building this business in my my mid to late thirties and early forties, and um, for me it was important to have that right balance of time and freedom and flexibility to interact with my family, but also to make sure that the team that I worked with were challenging and fun and people that I wanted to hang out with. So those were the two places that it really started. Obviously, there were measures and standards of profitability in the dream job. Also, I think that I was somewhat self-aware about the fact that I, I like making things. I enjoy the factory environment. I enjoy seeing the trucks come up to the loading dock every day. And for that reason, I made a lot of decisions about the way we went with the business to avoid outsourcing to keep the manufacturing in-house because I'm sort of a mechanical tinker by nature. And uh, that was important to me, and that was part of my dream job, to have a factory, not just to have a warehouse and distribution. I think everybody has certain parts of a business that feel good to them, and I think you should really work hard to understand what's important to you and incorporate that into your job because – we spend way more time at our job during the week with the people we work with than we do with the ones we love. So it better be, you know, as, as fun as possible. Those are all great points. How important is the, uh, the things that you don't want list? (laughs) You know, the things that I don't want list, I I was very fortunate um, or relatively early or sort of in the middle of the real development of the business to find and hire an incredible chief operating officer. And um, we, uh, it was a woman who she and I had this really fantastic relationship where we figured out that she was really good at all the things I hated doing. And um, she um, came on to the team and really helped me accelerate the value that I could contribute to the business by taking those things off my plate. 
and uh, became this tremendous relationship where it was really a team. It was like a sports team. And that group that my core executive team, there were six, six or seven of us in, in, in a group that really supported each other and helped to kind of balance what we worked well at and what we didn't work well at. And we talked openly about what we liked about our jobs and what we liked about our responsibilities and found a good balance. And I think I was very fortunate to find a terrific collection of people who uh, complemented each other very well. Excellent. Excellent. Now in your book, grow like a lobster, um, you, what are some of the key takeaways that uh, um, a reader would, would get from this mm-hmm. book? Why should, why should our listeners uh, uh, buy the book and, and who's it meant to be for? Yeah, so, so the book was written after I sold the business um, the first time. Um, I, I sold it to a private equity firm, stayed on for a while, moved to Italy, and then it was subsequently sold again at my remaining interest. And after I, I sold the business, I sat down and said, my God, I learned so many things running this business that they never taught me in business school. And I felt this desire to give it back to people that were trying to build and create something and to simplify some of the things that I saw in other businesses, competitors, partners, vendors. So I call it sort of this no-nonsense toolbox of how to get things done. And I'm not ever claiming to be the next great all-encompassing business book out there. I think I read a lot of business books as I was sort of developing in my business career, and I found that from each one, there was something of value that I could take away, whether it be a new idea or maybe confirmation that a decision I had made in the past wasn't stupid or, or, or was stupid, but at least it helped me understand it. And my vision was to really synthesize and simplify some of these big, obvious concepts in a way that you can take them away and ask yourself some tough questions. So that book is really for anyone that's trying to build and lead an organization. You may already be doing it, but I think by taking a look through Grow Like a Lobster, you can sort of find some little shortcuts that are not lazy shortcuts, but simplifications that maybe cut out a lot of the waste. I'm all about doing things efficiently. Yeah, it sounds it sounds terrific, and sounds like a a great read for our listeners who are in that. A lot of them are in that stage, Josh, where they're saying, you know, uh, if I I need to grow my way out of this business, right? I need to uh, I, I need to uh, if I try to sell it right now, maybe it's not worth something. A lot of people that listen to this show are thinking, in five years, I want it to be worth X. Now, how the heck do I get there? And it sounds like you've been there. You can help them. What's the best way for our listeners to to find the book? Yeah, so the book is available under Grow Like a Lobster by Josh Dick on, on any Amazon website in the world. It also has its own website at growlikealobster.com. That'll drive you to the different places to purchase it. And then I personally have a website that is tied to that growlikealobster.com, which is called joshua-dick.com. And there you can get in touch with me. You can also subscribe to a blog that I write with these very short two or three minute ideas about how to be more efficient in running your business and communicating. Well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Really great, great tips and ideas and uh, interesting story. And you have a lot more to offer, I see, in the other topics you can talk about. I hope you'll come back and join us once again at some point in the future. It would be my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.